Hello, welcome to the Book Supplied Podcast presented by WSL Leadership Coaching. In this podcast, we look at an awesome book and talk about how it can apply to your work, sport, and life. I'm Iggy Perillo, and let's get into today's book. Hello, welcome to the Book Supplied Podcast. Today, I'm talking with the amazing Stephen Worley, founder of Life Skills That Matter, that an or, I mean, do you call it an organization, a system, a movement of like vision that Ooh, helps people? It, it is, yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's like a company, but I like, I, my brain is going with movement these days. Yeah. It's definitely more than, more than meets the eye. Uh, I was a participant in the Life Skills That Matter Accelerator, helping me uh, make work that works for me. And so here I am working for myself, doing work that works for me and also having this fun podcast. So this is my special guest, Stephen, today. Hello, Stephen. It's great to have you here. It was great to have be here. And thanks so much. And you were like just an amazing member of our accelerator. <laughs> just so like you were the person to be like, sure, I'll give that a try. Sure, I'll experiment with that. Hey, I'm stuck here. I got a question. You know what I mean? And like really, I always tell people like starting a business or making a big change in life is really that simple. Be willing to ask questions, be willing to experiment, and the rest will follow. I had a lot of questions. <laughs> that's true. Hey, and that's, you should. Yeah. You, know, you want to do something like that big, right? Yeah. And, and they no, kind of almost never end. Oh, yeah. It definitely never ends. It never ends. But it's uh, worked out well. I'm doing stuff that I enjoy. And yeah, it works for me to do what I'm doing. So I'm stoked on that and stoked to have you here today. So win-win. I am. I know. I remember, uh, I don't know where I posted this. I was reading this book. I mean, because it's a meaty book. Mm. And you're like, hmm, maybe we should talk about that one. And then I'm like, then I almost felt bad that I roped you into like reading this very big, dense book. <laughs> right. Well, I think I asked if anyone had books that they liked that they wanted to talk about on the podcast. And you're like, yeah, I love this book, Sapiens. And today our book is Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari, which was originally published in 2011 in Hebrew and then 2014 in English, I learned, which is mm. nice. So uh, luckily, not much has happened for humans since 2014, so we're, we're totally up to date on Nothing. that. But uh, it is actually a pretty meaty book. But I, it, you recommended it, and I'd also seen it other places. Like I actually listened to the audiobook, and it was fantastic as an audiobook too. So it was um, something that, yeah, it was. I run and listen to audio, my audiobooks while I'm like, okay, running is like a little overstatement. I jog around and uh, gave me a lot to think about. Like it made runs go really fast because I'm like, oh yeah, tell me about this thing. But anyway. I know it really sucked you in, you know, it was one of those, mm -hmm. it was like a book I was had trouble putting down and it's been mm -hmm. a while since I had that kind of a book. I ran a lot of miles because of this book. So <laughs> there's that same thing. I had trouble not listening. So uh, what was like your, like, what was your mm -hmm. biggest like epiphany, like reading? Cause there's a lot of stuff going on in this book, but like, kind of like once you put close the last, like what is like <laughs> the biggest thing that you are personally taking away from this book? Well, I really, uh, my background, I studied philosophy in college. And so there's this kind of thread of ancient philosophy that is what makes a human different from the other animals. Like this mm -hmm. has been going on for thousands of years. Where we're like, well, what's a, what is a human? You know, what makes it special or different? And then that sort of bled out into psychology and like, you know, all these different sort of branches of sciences, like what makes humans different? And uh, the answer from this book is that we tell lies that other people believe like that's what makes us different or, or from any like, other animal like we're good at telling stories we're, yeah we're, we're good, good at imagining yes 
I mean, they phrase it as myths. Uh, the author is like, yeah, we have myths that other people buy into. And once we share these myths, that makes us different from any other species out there. Because no other species is going to share a myth that someone else, another creature will buy into and like so, go along with. So now, for people listening to us, so basically, we like to think that we are the superior species, but we're really the most gullible. Is that correct? Probably. <laughs> I think that is like the fundamental, but uh, like point of this book that we are gullible but that gives us that like f- gullibility gives us uh culture gives us like some things like society gives us curiosity i think also and i think that is like another sort of separator between humans and other things and this book goes back to like homo sapiens like evolving as homo sapiens like versus neanderthals versus you know the other uh that's the thing that blew me away like mm-hmm. like once upon a time, there were many different types of humans. And what I mean by that is species. Like, think mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. bears. There's panda bears, polar bears, black bears, brown bears, like all the different types of bears, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then imagine this. Imagine there's only one of those bear varieties left, like the black bear just hanging out left. Mm-hmm. What happened to all the other bears? That's basically <laughs> right. us. Like, right, what happened right. to all the other different human types? Like, And yeah. also, I think, correct if I'm wrong, in the book reinforced it, like that doesn't happen to any other species type, right? Oh, yeah, you know what right. I mean? It's that very is rare. Not the, the only thing, the only way is like it happened among humans. So then that means there's still something extra, like what is it with Homo sapiens? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think he walks this fine line between being like humans are so special and like humans are not that special. Like there's like this interesting yeah. sort of duality through the you know, kind of like a sub theme, maybe that like, yeah, you think you're so cool, but really we're like, I, still like, I think we're like raging insecure still. Like, <laughs> like right. he, like he used to like, like a lion or a, a shark evolved with their abilities to be at the top of the food chain. And mm-hmm. they're like, I got enough. I'm not secure. You're not bothering me. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But humans didn't acquire their power through, Well, they did a little bit because something went in our brain to allow us to imagine and then Mm -hmm, share mm -hmm, stories mm -hmm. with each other so we can coordinate in larger groups. But there is something, our power was acquired through that step of imagination. So like Mm -hmm. as an example, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when humans made their way to Australia, there were no humans on Australia at all. And then humans like 45,000 years are found a way to get there. And then within a few thousand years, any mammal over 100 pounds was went extinct. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. From like the whole a, continent. An enormous continent. The entire continent. continent. And like that happened in mm-hmm. North. There used to be lions in North America. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Fascinating. How so much it's, I, so, it, so it's like almost we, mm-hmm. we have. So it's what I was thinking was like, wow, we have this tremendous power, but we're still this fragile, insecure being. And we know <laughs> we are compared to all other animals. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. We, we, we just cannot handle the power that we've created mm-hmm. is like the takeaway mm-hmm. I took for this book, which made, makes me not sleep at night much. That, that we can't handle our power part as humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And how does that affect like the just to sum up this history of like every human ever like he definitely i like that he goes through sort of these big um big changes like the yeah. like 70,000 years ago we kind of got this our cognition the cognition change. revolution yeah where we could be like oh wait we could create and make myths we, well, and we like we were aware yeah. i think that's the thing we were even aware that we were aware yeah <laughs> right right 
And as opposed to reacting or instinct yeah. or, you know, even though those instinct is super complicated. Like, I think he like also is like, yeah, don't think you're too special because other creatures have really complex behaviors and social behaviors and communication and, you know, these sort of different pieces that we think of as very human, but uh, are more instinctual and not um, they can't share that to other people. Like they can share knowledge and information between them. You know, like they talk about how bees can communicate where to find flowers, you know, like mm-hmm. there's this sort of communication happens like a lot of different levels but our ability to communicate on that level of awareness of and also myths and you know the imaginary stuff stuff that doesn't exist i think that's the other thing that blows away like anybody listening to us right now and iggy i invite you to like everybody just scan their local environment wherever you are and if you're like if you anything that you see that is not like a tree or grass or (laughs) water Mm -hmm. was entirely made up like Mm-hmm. None of it is real. None of it had to go this way. This was all just imagining. Mm-hmm. Imagine in somebody's head and then created. And I feel like we constantly, I think humans have a knack for constantly, like in our quest for making ourselves feel safer, we just make life more complicated. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Tell me more about like the complications to make us feel safer. It's like, so first somebody stumbled upon like, fire we went up to it and we're like there's probably a lightning bolt and then like we're like ooh, this it's cold and it's warm it's nice i like this and then somebody eventually like some rocks hit and there was a spark and they saw like oh i can create fire okay so then all of a sudden you had to create fire but then where are you going to create fire now you're going to put it inside outside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you then you had to all of a sudden well, all right now well i like having fires but now i need a supply of wood so how are we going to keep getting <laughs> supply of wood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you see what i mean it just yeah. keeps Going on and on and on. And I feel like now what I love about this book, like like you said, it was like kind of, he divided up into that uh, cognition revolution, mm-hmm. cognitive revolution 70,000 mm-hmm. years ago, agricultural revolution yes. about 10 to 12,000 years ago, and the science revolution about 500 years ago. But I love that he's giving context, not just about this is where we are at the present day, but kind of like where he thinks we're going to go. Oh, yeah. Right. And right. I think one of the things he didn't say it in this way, I often use this term, I think we're at peak convenience hmm. and what, what back to the this question i think we have overcomplicated so much i think it's ridiculous and if you feel judged about what i'm saying right now i'm absolutely judging you <laughs> if you have to have alexa or your listening device turn on a light for you because you can't get up to go turn on the switch mm-hmm. i don't get it i think that's the moment for me to be like mm. Are we just inventing ways of not having to live and do anything anymore? So are we going to end up, if you ever watched like Wally? Are yeah, we just I was just thinking of that. The yeah. blubber people? Like, mm-hmm. I guess like mm-hmm. the point of life is not to have everything figured out. Like if mm-hmm. I'm going to fill up my time, I want a few mysteries left. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I think that speaks to the sense of like what is actually motivational to people. Like what what drives us as humans? And it's I think there's a drive for convenience for sure. And like people want things easier and better and easier and better. But that was Which also agriculture. Certain, yeah. And that made and that made so much sense. Like, gosh, think of three three hundred thousand years ago. Like life was rough, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in some ways you also wonder, at least I'm wondering in this book, I'm like, I wonder would those people be more or less stressed out than we are? Oh, well, he talks about the, specifically the agricultural re- revolution was this huge fraud. Like yeah. suddenly, once we stopped being uh, more nomadic with just what we could carry on our backs, more or less moving, we had a varied diet because we moved from place to place as food moved and seasons changed and, you know, finding things. Once we parked and started, um, 
basically parked ourselves and started growing things or harvesting things or domesticating animals, suddenly we're stuck. We can produce a ton more food. It's, it loses variety. And suddenly the work became really tedious and terrible. So like most and people- And our health declined for yeah. most people. Like only the top, the wealthy people, yeah. familiar everybody. The wealthy <laughs> people were the ones who were doing okay, but everybody part keeping this system going, almost like this sham. Yeah. Going. And, and the other thing that blew me away is because- it's funny that my desire to be nomadic the last 18 months, mm-hmm. I went reading this book and I'm like, ha ha, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm being human. Back to your roots. Yeah. And, you know, and also the idea that maybe the concept of monogamy came from the agricultural revolution. It wasn't mm-hmm. really about love and romance and taking care of little babies, but it was about passing on property. Mm, right. And having like a, a line of property connection. Yeah. When he also talks about the like that whole idea that oh um biology enables but culture forbids mm. that like biologically we could do everything like everything we create is biological like there's you know every chemical is something that humans created and humans are biological creatures so everything's fine but we have cultures that are like well this is right and this is wrong or That's- that you can do this or not do that or you know permissive or unpermissive and just in every different way and that created a lot of these systems that then limit us that we buy into. So this is another myth we buy into, which are these cultural myths that, oh yeah, it's not right to. And I feel like I see this with you actually in your whole um, operation. Like, well, you need a career, you need a nine to five, you know, like we have these cultural myths around, like for you in particular, like work or around how to, how to live a life, you know, whatever they are that we buy into when we're like, well, wait, these are just more like, this is just what our culture limits us to. Like, well, we have to be inside, sitting at a desk, you know, all these things. When in reality, biologically, we're actually probably, you know, there's like this shocking amount of research that being outside is healthier for people. And like, you know, you know, you're like, that's not really shocking if you think of the history of humans forever. But we got caught up in the Industrial Revolution, I think, a little bit that made us be like, well, machine, we're machines, we're nine to five or, you know, whatever kind of thing. Well, even I just read um, Breathe by James Nestor. Uh, which, I have that coming soon. I'm excited to uh, check it out. What was so crazy is like, again, we are the only mammals that have crooked teeth mm. because of how we eat. Mm-hmm, the Industrial mm-hmm. Revolution or in a, in starting even in, in some respects in the Agricultural Revolution, we, we started eating so, really soft foods. Hmm. So that made our mouths smaller it actually made it harder for us to breathe. Our <laughs> chewing muscles decline. But but the good news is you could actually re- re- reverse this, you know, and that's oh, what really? I'm actually kind huh. of doing a lot of experiments on uh, just primarily to breathe, to uh, increase my breathing capacity and what also gives me more sustainable energy. Like the greatest, like we don't look at air and breathing like food. Like if mm, we could get mm-hmm. better at that, mm-hmm. it's better than working on your almost, I'm being extreme but working on your diet or almost anything else that you do is just breathing. Cause you're actually going to make better decisions about everything else. <laughs> if you have a steady supply of energy. Oh, sure. And air and like your, like the oxygenated brain operates very differently than the not so oxygenated brain in our world. Yeah. You know, like in the physical training world, it's like all that, like they talk about aerobic and anaerobic and like the buildup of toxins in your body when you're working and moving. But like breathing is what helps flush those out even. But do you feel, I, this is another coincidence that I, because I think it's very appropriate to where we are right now and I can see it and I feel it. I call it the algorithm. The, the And that was like maybe started in the, in the 
agricultural revolution where we have to like, this is the way we have to do this. This is the way our rhythms are. We start breaking away from our natural rhythms. Then the industrial revolution shoved us into factories. And now we're all being sucked in by Google's algorithm, <laughs> Netflix and our any social media platforms. And that really blows my mind to think of like, wow, like, am I really ruling my own life or am I just mm. a pawn? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> where is this going? Like, I feel like there's a solid chunk of humans who are like, I'm cool starting to become more like a machine. Great. And then there is like maybe those of us who are like, ah, oh, that freaks me out. I actually enjoy being human and making mistakes and not having it all figured out. How how did you feel about that? This, do you feel this tension between human and machines? And after reading this book a little bit more, I think it was interesting. I've heard before people like in different sort of uh, venues, people talking about how the thing we should most fear right now is artificial intelligence. That that's mm. like the biggest threat to humanity. I'm like, okay, whatever, a threat to humanity or AI, like whatever. Alexa's listening. I know, like whatever. You know, like yeah. I don't care. Uh, so I kind of blew it off, but I think. I really appreciate his take on it that like we are going to keep trying to enhance ourselves as humans because we're like we're like this is part of humanity it's all about more like more of yeah. whatever it is and that like but the, that was the original thing that made us human we started, yeah. we kept imagining better and better and yes. better and better ways to do it like it's like we just cannot stop ourselves but at the <laughs> yeah. same token we create all these unintended consequences that oh, we choose sure. not to deal with <laughs> oh yeah we just sweep those under the rug but he actually mentions like that like the next level of human might be more the next uh, species evolution might be like more closer to cyborgs, like adding ourselves into technology. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I could see that as a possibility. I'm not such a like science fiction doomsday person so much that like, oh, we're all gonna, you know, nor am I like science is gonna save us. Like, I mean, I don't know, but. And it could be just like, this is just the, how things are rolling out from the, from the perspective of the universe and energy and life that, humans specifically homo sapiens were the in-between step between animals and in or he called they're they're called inorganic Mm. beings Mm -hmm, a machine mm -hmm. a robot Mm -hmm. and because then you know even when i I was read bill bryson's a little bit of history a lot about a little bit of everything and in that book that hopefully i get this right but even if we built a spaceship that could travel the speed of light it would still take fifty thousand human years to get to the center of our own galaxy. Mm-hmm. So when I heard that, unless we find some new information about like <laughs> physics, mm-hmm. like humans aren't going to ever make it many places elsewhere. But then after reading this book, I'm like, oh, we're not going to get there. But the machines that we create are right. going to go out there because they sure. can exist in perpetuity. Yeah, they're out there cruising around. And like, are the, and those are like extensions of us as humans. Like those are created yeah. with the flaws of humans and the yes. sort of the expectations of humans and the cultural limits and also the myths of humans, right? That like, oh, we need to go out. We need to see things like there's more out here. You know, like these are these kind of cultural cultural myths, but also like human, human-centric like expectations that we bring out wherever we go. Like, uh, yeah, I think it was interesting because he also talks about this in terms of like introspective. He kind of does a quick run through of like world religions when you're like, yeah, I mean, like, and they kind of fall into this lump of like culture that's been created by people. Like that's his, mm-hmm. his, the broad take. But um, he pauses. For, I thought he gave like more attention to Buddhism for a, for some reason. And, term, and the idea of like, because it talks about how we perceive what suffering is and what it means to be human. And so like that idea of like being aware of, that we're constantly going to be struggling and like, that's okay. And I think that was his takeaway from Buddhism. And uh, 
I was like, okay. And I also feel like Buddhism yeah. as a, because some people don't even think of it as a religion. Some people might even call it philosophy. Mm-hmm. At least my attraction to it is um, having been raised Catholic. I think a lot of other religions are well-intentioned, but there's also, I feel like there's that other human agenda behind them mm. about controlling people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think Buddhism wasn't really about controlling people. It's just like, hey, we all have these magical powers that you can use and you can develop. It's tough. It's hard, but you can do it. And I feel like that's the message of Buddha. Sure. As a, as Even a, Jesus, if you really wanted to listen to it, Jesus <laughs> right. actually said versus all the words other people throughout the ages and put in his mouth. <laughs> right. Well, and I think he does this interesting, like another fine line between saying, this is actually another creation of humans. Like our perception of these things are creations of humans, whether or not, uh, and more, some people believe some of these creations more than others. And I love that he lumps in one of these creations of humans is just capitalism. Like I really yeah. enjoyed his like dissection of capitalism as like, yeah, people are for unfettered capitalism. Like we should just let the markets rule, let money, this myth, this thing we believe in yeah. called money, like yeah. run everything. But then capitalism, like unfettered capitalism results in slavery. Like that's like, yeah. when you, like really get down to like what capitalism means if there's no limits on it. That like you need to get the most out of the most work out of the most people for as cheap as possible. Like that that money factor really does defines how you approach other people as capitalist like pawns in this, you know, like culture, not even culture in this um, system, the capitalist system. And so we're like, oh, yeah, capitalism is great. Oh, wait, but slavery's not so great. But like, oh, wait, you know, like he does a good job of like pointing out these sort of flaws of like religion, of capitalism, of, you know, like these really big concepts of culture collectively. I really appreciate that. Um, if, I don't know if it feels very even handed. It just feels very matter of fact, you know, like I think it. I, I do. I feel like he wasn't. I didn't feel like he was necessarily trying to convince me of anything. I feel Mm -hmm. like the biggest like intention or action I took away from the book, which really was validating and reinforced what I think I'm all about anyway, is question everything. Mm -hmm. It is your right to use your human imagination to question everything because all of it is made up. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I've taken away a very similar message that we're like, Everything you look at and everything you see is a shared myth, which I think is the same thing. Like, we're sharing a belief that this matters right now. Like, we're sharing a belief that this is how we do it, or this is how we do a city, or how we do a a building, how we do uh, social interaction, how we do, you know, whatever. Like, all these things were created by people, which to me is, like, fundamentally super freeing. Like, that's my big takeaway from this book is, like, if you see how things kind of evolved and were created and happened, you're like, cool, interesting, interesting, interesting. Then you're like, oh, wait, so we're left with this mountain of myths. And, you mm-hmm. know, I like to call them lies, but, you know, only because I'm, like, <laughs> argumentative about it. But, like, we're, we're – but we agree to them, and that's fine. And it's not like tomorrow I'm going to go out and be like, I don't believe in money anymore. I'm done with it. You know, like I'm not in a place to do that because I'm so bought into this culture and this myth and this society. And, you know – Don't you feel like I feel yeah. like – I feel like I've personally been on this journey over the last decade. Mm. I'll keep pulling on the threads. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what I, I just been like little by little being like, nope, I don't want to own anything right now. Mm-hmm. Nope. You know, or this year I'm like, I'm not accepting the price of anything. I oh, yeah. negotiate everything. <laughs> Great. You know what I mean? Because yeah. and that's such a transformative thing. Like this price is made up. And you know what? Like everybody backs off. It's mm. amazing. Like there's nobody who's held firm once. 
Oh, really? When you try to negotiate, even though like in a, I know you're primarily in American culture where like haggling is not it's like there's only select no. areas where that's a thing in American culture versus other even places. On, even on Airbnb. You oh, know yeah. what I do? I just a little Airbnb hack, everybody. Oh, I, I just it. email whoever I'm whoever the host is. And I ask for like, you know, one to two hundred dollars off. Mm-hmm. And I usually stay by month, whatever it is. But I mm-hmm. ask for something off. Mm hmm. Got nothing to lose now. If it's like summertime and it's a high mm-hmm. desirable area, that's going to be a little tougher, but doesn't hurt to ask. Sure. And that was like my, uh, some advice from my dad always was like, you can always ask for, you can always ask, you know, like for, especially ask. in negotiation situations. And that like approaching that idea is like, we have this myth that this, the price is the price in America. Yeah. Like that's it. And uh, yeah. And it was we totally made up. It. <laughs> Sure. And it doesn't mean you're a jerk about it. It's just like you're asking and like they could be like, they could say no, but it sounds like they never say no, which is also fascinating to hear. Yeah, or maybe it's just the time that we're in and there's all uncertainties that people feel uncertain about <laughs> that. I'm sure. I don't know. Airbnb is like, they're probably like, whatever, $2 will take it. You know, like maybe not. Also, but, I'm know. like renting it like for a month at a time. They're like, yeah. thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to exactly. take this for an entire month. You don't have to worry about it. Whew, and we're saving on cleaning costs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, like this idea of like this transaction though that like what you're offering and what you're getting are not necessarily what you're offering and what you're getting you know like we have this cultural vision like it's money yeah. but it's experience but it's like other thing i think this sort of rise of uh people wanting experience more than possessions like kind of cl- globally this kind of ethos is uh is fa- fascinating like we're just trading myths mm-hmm. and that's what he talks about if we trade if we change our myth uh, change our what we believe in that's how we actually make cultural change and make things happen in a different way in our world just like wanting less. I feel like, I don't know if you ever saw Planet of the Humans documentary. No, I haven't. Just about green technologies and like mm. really how they're made and everything. And uh, I came away with that movie and being like, really, like at the end of the day, the only way we can really, I think, elegantly get a shot at redirecting humans <laughs> mm-hmm. in terms of all the realms that we've created, um, we really need to start understanding ourselves and like what do we really need and want and when you do that it turns out and asking yourself why when you do that it turns out you need a lot less than you think (laughs) and you can actually be way happier every day you don't have to wait to save for something buy something do something to get this happiness in the future Mm -hmm. you can just by changing your mindset you could be happy like right now and i think that would really change things oh absolutely Absolutely. And he does mention this in the book, too, that like our idea of happiness is, again, like has cultural layers. Yeah. Cultural myths, cultural layers. And like it's funny to read about research on happiness when they're like it's basically like research showing us that our our myths are not serving us. You know, like the, yeah, you know, that totally. happiness is experience versus possession or that happiness is like time outside or connection with people versus, you know, a pile of money in your, you know, whatever. Or whatever it is. But like, I think that, uh, I mean, this is, I think, for me, another lesson from the book that these myths, again, are just things we can question or things we can examine at a layer. I think it gives the permission to look at these from this higher level. It's not just like, well, do I want, you know, a steak or a burger? Like, I don't know. Right. You know, like, you're kind of like, you can get caught in these weeds as a person. Like, what will make me happier? But the reality is like, well, what what myths or what beliefs will make me happier? And, yeah, like overall stories. It's like, yeah. I've been, this story has been handed down and the way I like mm-hmm. to like, like humans try to do it all comes from a good place. I do believe that. I'd like to believe that. Maybe that's the story I'm telling myself. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But I think these stories are getting passed on. And I think 
you get to choose about what you want to carry on or what story mm-hmm. you want to change mm-hmm. or what new story you would like to write. And I think, again, our, our, I think what's changing our system now is it's going so fast and the machines are so much more pervasive and are really starting to manipulate our thought. Just something mm-hmm. as simple as getting recommendations from search engines and video, um, just notifications. It's yeah. really starting to manipulate us and preying on our biological weaknesses for needing to feel accepted and secure and all those sort of things. And that's making us do some really wacky stuff. And I think sometimes that's when you need to like, you know, you can need to like step back, stop everything, like pull the emergency brake on your life mm-hmm. and start kind of like collecting and taking an inventory of all these stories to be like, mm-hmm. which ones are helping? Which ones are hurting? What are they? What are the consequences of believing in these stories? Like we aren't even doing that. Mm-hmm. That is an awesome takeaway. Like it's really a call for this introspection, I think, in a way that is more than physical. Like it is like that mm-hmm. that beliefs and wants and needs level. And looking at those in terms of like, what is the world around me telling me I should believe or want or need? Like that kind of a little bit more like meta in terms of how we operate. And what's next? You know, if, this is like how homo sapiens kind of roll, but like there's not gonna be homo sapiens around forever. Like what, like where are we headed? And are we on board with that or not? Or are we gonna go the way of the Neanderthal and just kind of get like, pushed to the side and or killed off because we're too attached or too fixed to things that don't actually serve us in the end. I mean, species wise, it's crazy, but yeah. Like, and I also know it's hard to like override. Yeah. That, that the survival of us as an individual survival as as a species, just like, and it's hard coded in us. Mm -hmm. But I think, I don't know if you correct me wrong. I don't know if he really said this, but I, I would also like to take away from this book. It was so much. And so, especially the future part of it, it's like, listen, you know, I got like 46. I'm hoping I get like maybe like 30 good more years at least in me. And maybe it's because of the stage of life that I'm at. I really just, I'm fascinated that I'm even here. And I really just, I, something is switching me. Like I can, I can enjoy a walk and sun on my face in the way that it was always annoying to me when you ever always heard that in a yoga class. You're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I get it now. I get it. You know what I mean? To be able to do that without constantly worrying about money and am I good enough? Am I doing this? I'm doing that. I'm like, great. You all keep drowning that story over there. I'm going to hang out in this story of just, I just want to enjoy it. I'm awake. Mm -hmm. I'm here. Mm -hmm. This is weird. This is weird that we're spinning on this ball and in space. And like, there's really nothing I have to do. Yeah. Here we are. You're already there. You're already doing it. Right. So good job. (laughs) yeah i think uh i think that's another great takeaway from this book and how it yeah that perspective of how we i mean this is the thing that makes overcomplicate everything yeah we overcomplicate things but we can choose to shift that perspective too like that is like another these sort of uniquely human traits like your pet isn't going to change its perspective on like (laughs) life tomorrow probably you know like whatever they hurt or they don't hurt you know like they have their things and they're cruising around living their lives but they're not going to be like huh i think i should do this differently like it's not going to happen for a lot of for non-human creatures essentially like my parents dog like you know what i think i need to cut back on the pepperoni (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's never gonna happen no no not not a thing not a thing for the pets they're like this is the best thing i ever did in my life but i think 
but back to the book though we said it we do have human needs as humans and i think mm-hmm. like the book doesn't quite go as far as i wanted it to to tease out what those uniquely Ooh, what human do you mean by needs that? well like i think there's all this whole other theory of you know side of um anal- analyzing humans like what are humans basic needs what are humans like what makes us human in terms of uh like there's like pyramids and hierarchies like all these different ways we look at the needs that make us human and i think like he kind of mentions like well we're social more or less like cool like okay so we have a need to be social more or less like he kind of glosses over that like that we need a social connection as a human and i don't and he doesn't say that we do you know like those kind of things like do we need social connection like obviously we need food we need air you know like whatever those sort of survival things but i know where you're going because i almost he touched on it a little bit Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think he framed it in the way of like if we didn't tell our it's almost like i feel like telling this is why i'm I'm taking it i don't think he didn't say it explicitly like this but i think as we became aware i think we started telling ourselves stories at a as a defense mechanism because it was so overwhelming and scared the crap out of us (laughs) to be like we're on this blue ball spitting through space. What? Of course, we didn't really realize that at the time that we were doing it, but I think all there was so overwhelming. There was mm. just so much stimulation, all that sort of thing. I'm wondering that maybe we developed our ability to tell stories to protect us mm-hmm. from our awareness. And then all these things come up, like just the need for connection with others to feel like, other people get that I'm also going through this. Like, mm-hmm. and I feel like mm-hmm. that I see that in our accelerator program all the time. Every time some people start talking about their fears, everybody's like, you could see the relief. It's like, whew, mm-hmm. okay. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm not the only one with that fear. There's something. And I do believe we're all energetically connected. You know, I know we like to think of ourselves as individual and separate, but I, we are like a, an organism. We are like a hive of bees. I do think humans unknowingly kind of, operate mm-hmm, beyond mm-hmm. verbal communication. Mm-hmm. I think you're right though that the stories helped us make sense of the world or else we couldn't we would our brains I don't know our brains would explode is what I want to say like yeah. not like physically but like I don't think we could process everything that was happening around us without the stories yeah. to help us make sense of it. Yeah. But but beneath those stories there I think you're right like there is this idea that like we need someone to tell a story too or else what's the point of you know like we just make sense of it for ourselves. Like that's possible because we have awareness but i think without that sense of like telling the story is part of it or even like if i don't know if you could plant yourself there or to an experience like if you did this exact same episode because you have done episodes where you just talked about a book if you did this exact same episode about this book just on your own versus mm-hmm. with me what do you think the difference would have been uh it would have been a little more me talking really fast like that's like the main difference i go i really talk fast sometimes I think, um, yeah, it would have been, I mean, it would have lacked all of your perspective and like my perspective response to your perspective. Like it would have lacked flow, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Or it would have been a different flow, maybe not lacked flow. Cause I'd like to think that I could like carry on a story for a couple of minutes that is meaningful and useful, but yeah, the flow would have been really I, different. if not. I, and I also, don't you feel like I, at least in my body, I can feel pockets of excitement when you're mm-hmm. saying things and mm-hmm. I just feel mm-hmm. that. And it actually feels good to be like, it's connection. Oh gosh, it's so yeah. cool that Iggy's bringing this up right now, you know? Yeah. I would have lacked connection with a person engaging mm-hmm. and creating it. Like it would have been created without connection. I mean, like ideally 
thinking like, oh, this will connect with people later, but in a very distant way, like not indirect. This is much more direct connection as a part of it. You would have missed that completely. Right. right. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Any last takeaways or big things, big like, yeah. I don't know how much bigger can we go. This book has like, was like, I just, I think if you haven't read this book and you're thinking about it, um, it is a big book, you know, it's, it's a lot of information, but I think it's pretty clearly written. It's, and I'm a history guy and I was a history major. I've read my fair share of books that were way too long that did not need to be (laughs) filled with way too much detail. It's not like that. I mean, it's a page turner Mm -hmm. and it gives you, it just really gives you context from a biological perspective, a cultural perspective, a historical perspective of a, a shot at. And I think he's doing his best trying to tell the story of humans without telling another story about humans. Yeah. Without the hype. Yeah. And just trying to put it out there. And I think, um, I guess, again, it's to reinforce it. I think, uh, if you can incorporate to your life, which I think will be a good thing for humans is to learn to realize that everything's a story. There's no hardcore belief. All stories have changed in the past. They're going to change again and why we hold on to stories and why we choose to let them go. But in the short term, if you can question a few of your stories a little bit more, especially if you know, like they're not serving you that well, or they're not making you feel that great. I should pick out one of those stories and start peeling back the pages. I'm like, where the heck did this come from anyway? And like, if I don't like this story, what's the story I would like to tell? Awesome. Thanks. How about you? Um, that is, uh, I think my takeaway is similar in that the stories are all, I mean, I like to say they're all lies, but they're all created. And so we are free mm. to create something different. Like we have, yes. like, we are so free in that, and we choose where to not be free and to be aware of that choice. Like, I'm going to choose to believe in money because that's going to get me some food and, you know, like whatever. Like we can we can choose our beliefs like in the things around us that seem like we take for granted. Like those are choices, too. So being aware of those choices and being aware of our freedom to choose other things or create other myths, other visions, other things that, um, yeah, maybe make us happier, maybe make us more human, maybe make us make all of the society in the world better. Like, I don't know. I found it just, or maybe we're just overcomplicating things again, <laughs> eh, whatever. But I think you like, to me, I just read it. And it was like, there's so much possibility. Like my takeaway it really is. is. I, I, I so feel like it was like, um, yeah, I felt like there was a lot of, it was pragmatically hopeful. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to pray to phrase it. Like, and humans aren't going to be around forever. So hop on the change bus. Like, it's kind of like this funny takeaway. Don't go drink yourself silly, but you can enjoy a few more of your days. Yeah, whatever. Live your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thanks so much. Thank you, Aggie. I really appreciate this opportunity. Just uh, really always, I just enjoy any conversation with you because you are so curious and willing to challenge and explore. And it's, it's really, it really is. It's always a treat to be able to talk to you. Oh, thanks, Stephen. You're so great. Thanks so much for being here and giving me some of your time today. Is there anything about that you have upcoming that you want to share with uh, the listeners of this podcast in your world? Well, I think you said this is going out toward the end of the year. Ooh, I think everybody's ready to turn the page on the story of 2020. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, if you're thinking about starting a business, 
um, we might want to head on over to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash get started. Or if you're not quite ready, but you're like, I like this idea of like how to make my work work for me, go to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash get started again and click on manage yourself. And we have a whole bunch of free coaching emails about how you can manage yourself more effectively. Awesome. I recommend it. Anything Stephen does, recommend from me for sure. It's super useful, super fun, and not boring. I would appreciate, (laughs) I don't know if people tell you how not boring you are very often, but it's like very engaging, very practical. I think maybe why you resonate with this book that is like pragmatically, what did you say you said it was Pragmatically hopeful. Yeah, pragmatically hopeful. Like it's not going to, you're not going to fill people with like a bunch of hot air, but also- No, I like to like ground people. Like people are like, so how long is it going to take me to start my business? And I'm like, (laughs) like two to three years. (laughs) Oh, and actually once you give people the real truth, Mm-hmm. I've noticed people actually get, once they kind of go through that, except they're like, actually, like, I'm so actually glad to know, like, that's what it really is. That feels a lot better. Oh, yeah. Pragmatically hopeful. Good job. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here today. And Thanks, Sadie. Thanks for listening to the Books Applied podcast. And hopefully we will talk to you again in the near future. Thanks for listening, folks.